Welcome to Prompt. I'm Arielle Beth Klein, and I put together a series of interviews with people from different walks of life, all beginning with the same three prompts. Your first love, your best friend, and your untold story. This episode, I chat with Eugene. He's a retired social worker who's lived in New York City all his life. We had to stop and start the recording a few times, so if the conversation seems to jump a little, that's why. Meet Eugene. So I was born in 1944, and I grew up in Crown Heights in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Avenue in Sterling Place. And I, uh, the neighborhood as I was, when I was born and my first years was a sort of white, but sort of mixed neighborhood of uh, uh, more middle class and a lot of brownstones and kind of a very, uh, kind of a safe kind of a place. And uh, when I was a kid, when I was preschool, they would let me, um, my parents <laughs> would let me hang out on Brooklyn Avenue between Sterling Place and Park Place, as long as I didn't leave the block. So I was out there on my own, you know, at four yeah. years old. I loved it, you know. It was, great, <laughs> it was a great period of freedom and in my life, and I didn't want to go to school or kindergarten or any of that because I knew what they were going to do. They were going to make me sit down in my seat and pay attention and I, not let me go to the bathroom when I wanted to and so forth and so on, all the restrictions and structure yeah. of it. And, um, so I never liked this school very much all those years. I went through, you know, grammar school, high school, college, master's degree in social work and all, uh, all that, until I got to Ackerman Institute of Family Therapy and I studied family therapy, post-school, post postgraduate study. And uh, they had a freer atmosphere, you know, and, and uh, than any of the other schools I've, I've ever had. And they would, for instance, I came, I was in a three-hour class, and I came two hours late for a three-hour class. And the teacher, Jillian Walker, who isn't with them anymore, but still, uh, she, she said, you're a hero. You came in, <laughs> you, you, you made it, you know? And she understood that, obviously, if you come in two hours late for a three-hour class, you're very invested in the whole thing. Yeah. So instead of most people would be like, "Well, oh, you're right, you're, you know." So it's a very different atmosphere. That, that, I think that explains the atmosphere at Ackerman being different than other schools. And it wasn't; it's not university affiliated. It's okay. uh, it's a freestanding. Uh, it's a clinic, and it's also a freestanding school of its own. You know, so those are. I mean, there's a, the, the university having posed all kind of bureaucratic stuff. I think it makes it a little different. So they don't have that. Um, there were no term papers. The way that they evaluated you was you would interview a family in a room, and they would watch through a mirror and, and, and uh, videotape it and everything, and then you go over it with you. you know, so well, it's more maybe, practical. Yeah, yeah. We'll go over it with you while you're talking to the people, stop you, tell you things uh, on the phone and stuff like that. Yeah. So it was very, uh, yeah, very practice oriented, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But um, getting back to the story, sorry. No, it's is, great. Uh, is um, so as I, so gradually uh, the what happened in New York City and in the surrounding area was that the, the, the real estate people started building you know real estate uh, uh, housing in Long Island in Nassau and Suffolk County mm. <coughs> and they um, to, to fill it kind of you know 
they and blacks were moving into New York City from uh, the south because and they were hoping to get the jobs that were here then with a lot of manufacturing jobs a lot of small industry kind of jobs in New York City and and then those jobs disappeared over the period of time you know those jobs um, moved to the south or they moved to China or they moved to other places where the labor was cheaper and they could build a new factory that was automated or whatever you know so the people didn't have too much as they as they got here the dream wasn't so great and it also a lot of people came uh, from the south during World War II and they worked in the industry during World War II and then when the war was over that was left you know mm -hmm. um, so there was this fear going back to slavery and uh, and, the, and the role of uh, blacks in American history that there was this fear of blacks this uh, animosity toward blacks and, and whatever and, and that there a lot of very negative stereotypes and so they would press the whites to say you know the neighborhood is changing and the, the blacks are moving in and, uh, and trying to frighten the people into moving out moving out to Long Island, Westchester, mm -hmm. New, northern New Jersey, places like that. And um, they uh, and, and they did. And so I had a lot of friends. I went to grammar school in the neighborhood there. Um, and I had a lot of friends from grammar school. I was a, a very Catholic kind of family. I went to Catholic school and they, I was an altar boy and all that kind of stuff. So I had a lot of, but I had a lot of friends in the neighborhood. And they one by one would be moving away, and I was like this lost lamb, you know. And uh, it was it was a difficult period in my life. And then uh, and I had kind of a gang of kids I hung out with when I was a teenager. Uh, and the neighborhood was gradually shifting always toward more, more whites moving out and more blacks moving in. And of course, the blacks didn't know me, I didn't know them, I made some friends uh, among the people moving in. And uh, that was difficult though, because the, the, the things were much more divided then. It was like you, you, you couldn't really be friends with whites and blacks so easily, like you could now. Huh. You know, I'm not sure you Do you remember what that. year that was around? Uh, 1950s. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of difficult choices between white friends, black friends, you know, stuff like that. So uh, the, some of the white friends were still around, and the white friends left. And uh, and you know, you didn't have social media, you didn't have <coughs> you know email and Facebook and kind of easy you know uh, inexpensive ways to keep up with people. You had to write them a letter. We had to go on the phone, which would be a long-distance call back then to uh, to uh, Long Island or to uh, New Jersey or Westchester would be a long-distance call, and so it would be you know and you had like one phone in the house you know you didn't have your own phone like you have now with privacy, so it was really kind of difficult. It was it was and and the people who moved out first were the people who were uh, more accomplished academically. Kids, I would have learned from and would have, you know, I mean, they, they did. Obviously, it had an effect on my aspirations and so forth. But but I lost those kids first. More, I would say they moved out first. Their families moved out first, and so 
Um, and how old were you again when you started? When your friends started moving away? About thirteen. Thirteen. That's hard 12. to lose friends when you're a teenager. Yeah, so twelve, thirteen. Yeah, eighth grade. Well, eighth grade, you know, things. You know, it, it just. It was the kind of thing that happened gradually over a period of years, so it's hard to just you right. know, delineate it, you know. So I was getting to know African Americans, you know, people, and and um, whereas my white friends, like that, I went to college in in, in 60, 61, and they they were uh, not. They, they were not from black neighborhoods. They were from, uh, it would be unusual to be a, a white guy growing up in a black neighborhood. And uh, so my perspective was sort of different. And I just saw the African-American people as the, just a normal spectrum. You know, some mm -hmm. of them you love, some of them you hate, some of them are honest, hardworking people. And it's just like a normal people, spectrum yeah. of any, any other people you would meet, you know. And, and the, they didn't, People didn't see that. They still had all these negative stereotypes of crime, and and, and the crime rate was getting higher and higher because the opportunities were very limited for African Americans coming in, and they were discriminated against. And like what you see now in stores, um, any any store you would go into in Manhattan and most parts is you know has some black employees, but back then you didn't have that. Back then. Uh, they wouldn't hire blacks, and they felt that hiring blacks would hurt business. That that the white customers wouldn't want to come in and deal with a black uh, sales rep, you know, a salesman or a counterperson, retail clerk, and so it was really a tremendous barrier to them getting anything. You know, the manufacturing jobs were gone, and they were blocked from these other jobs. You know, and so uh, today, so. We, we, I, even I think, I think we all have a tendency to think things are getting worse, but that's something that's really gotten a lot better. That, that used to be a big, big problem. And now all the stores have black employees, white employees, people from China, people from India, people from wherever, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's really a very different uh, story. And, and the, the, as far as connectedness goes, the racial barrier is less, I think. I, I, certainly it is for me, I don't know what it is, uh, uh, but I think it's less for people than um, it was then. In other words, now it's more who you're dealing with, how they're dealing with you, how they just, each person just evaluated in their own right, not because of the color of their skin so much or anything. They're not prejudged because of the color of their skin, they're just people, you know, and people kind of I don't know, there's a New York thing and people kind of hang together, people kind of uh, actually look out for each other, I think, a lot more. And so that was beginning to come in and the civil rights movement was, you know, going on and there was also, there was rioting near where I lived, you know, in, in Bed-Stuy and mm -hmm. other like that. And um, so there were a lot of issues, you know, <laughs> going yeah. on, it was, a, it, was a, it was a hot time. And Did you say that your experience um, influenced your work with your social work? Did you? Yeah, it influenced me to, to, to feel that that's an important thing to work on to okay. try to do something about. That's part of why I went into the field. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and then other things developed from there. You know, but I mean that was the original idea. 
So when you were doing social work, did you have um, like a specific group that you were working with or like individual clients? So I would work, I worked in Brown, uh, in uh, Williamsburg in Brooklyn in the Hill of Surrey, so southern, south side of Williamsburg, and uh, with a lot of people who, uh, community development with like young adult people and going to school board meetings and things like that, and, and also a whole group work operation of, uh, that I was responsible for, of uh, groups of uh, kids, teenagers, young teenagers, sometimes even a little younger, being uh, seen and helped by uh, group workers, you know, by either VA level social workers or maybe some volunteers from the community. A lot of different people worked with them. So it was um, kind of trying to help people, you know, move up and out, help people overcome problems and take their place in society. I went to um college for education and I remember there even though I don't do it now I remember there are some like specific moments or kids or families that I worked with where I still remember them like they have impacted me and I was just wondering if you have any uh, stories obviously respecting confidentiality but um, if you have any stories of working with a particular like social work um, like family or or child that you remember being like oh this is why I do this do you have, I know that this is a surprise yeah. question. I'm just wondering if you... No, there's one, one person I've worked with who... Uh, see, a lot of people <coughs> who have problems have really been abused. And they're really what we call, the, now we say they're traumatized. Mm -hmm. And what tends to happen is you tend to keep replicating those scenes from when you were a kid getting traumatized. And, you're, maybe you're angry or you don't trust people. Many, many characteristics develop. And so th those things become very difficult in terms of socializing and uh, having a husband, wife, raise a family, you know. And so you help people with that issue. You help people <coughs> see that these things happen to them. They were innocent children, nothing to do with it. And, and that uh, they could overcome the behavior. But anyway, um, I made new friends in college. When I went, <coughs> when I went to Fordham, I was at, not at Fordham in the Bronx, because that was very far away, but uh, 302 Broadway, was at Broadway and Duane Street. And the same place that Duane Reed started, was on the same block, at between, okay. Broadway between Duane uh, and Reed. And, um, made friends there and some of them have remained friends for years. And one very good friend, we talked about friends, was Tom Minahan, was uh, a year ahead of me in college. Um, so he graduated and he went to Fordham for his MSW, his Masters in Social Work. Okay. And I was like a senior not knowing what I was going to do. So he talked to me a lot on the phone and I, you know, he, he, he lived in South Um <coughs> I lived in Central Brooklyn, he lived in Staten Island, so we weren't really that close. And he would um, explain to me about social work and kind of coach me into it, so that I took a job then in social work with, uh, with Catholic Charities in Brooklyn. And uh, that was the, the original group work uh, in Brownsville in Brooklyn, the original group work uh, kind of job, street work with kids and group work. Uh, that's how I got started in the field. But he really has helped me 
over the years. Uh, he's still alive. He's still with us. <coughs> and um, he lives in Chicago, though. He doesn't live here. Oh. Do you still keep in touch a little bit? Say again? Do you still keep in touch? Yes. Oh, yeah. When he comes, his, his wife's family is still here. Okay. So they come once in a while to visit. And I get to see him. And I can talk to him on the phone anytime, you know. Awesome. <coughs> He's done very well. He he became the dean of schools of social work of several oh, wow. NYU School of Social Work and, and uh, Loyola School of Social Work in Chicago and stuff stuff like that. He's been very active in the community in a different area. He's more in, in a policy, social policy. Okay. Did you have a story about? your first love, whether a person, a place, a thing, and a thing. Did you uh, have to with that? If not, it's okay. I was just the wondering. The first love was something that really uh, I thought about. It was, <clears throat> was really being able to be free, to go out in the street when I was like four years old and be kind of on my own. And, you know, at that time, milk was still delivered by milk wagon horses, milk wagon and carrot, you know, uh, milk wagon, horse and carriage, uh, and, and truck. <coughs> and um, so you had the horses to talk to. You had to, uh, there was also junk, junk dealers who had horses. Okay. Around, so there was still a little bit of horse and wagon stuff around, <coughs> which you don't see at all anymore. But and um, and people, you know, when you're four years old, you look over them and they they talk to you. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're kind of innocent. You're not a threat. You know, whatever. You know, and and so you could talk to people and 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 talk to neighbors who would uh, uh, on the block would stop and talk. You had to know people. You know, it was really very nice. I had a whole social world like that. And I had two friends who lived on the block, and I would see them. I I think that's how I really got to know them when I was four years old or so. Kenneth Harvey and Johnny Poyle. And I would get to know them, and, and we would and then we became good friends and did a lot of things together and stuff like that. And they were around your age too. Yeah. Cool. They were about my age, and uh, and their families were very nice, and, and you know it was very. Um, when I was writing my, uh, it was a nice atmosphere. And, and, and I was uh, I was writing the, the piece to be admitted to Ackerman. I said I grew up in Brooklyn back when people used to just talk to each other at the bus stop. <coughs> and I remember coming up to the bus stop with my mother and father, and they would talk to the other people. And they didn't know them, you know. And they oh, nice little boy, and blah blah blah. You know, that's a whole thing, you know. And, and it was just a friendlier atmosphere. And uh, one thing was a big change. I think it was when the child in um, Soho disappeared. Never really found that child, or who murdered him, or what happened to him, and that was kind of a long time ago. But mm -hmm. that was suddenly everybody became much more afraid of leaving kids out in the street, and someone's going to take them and stuff like that. So I'm glad I was. <laughs> I'm glad I, I was before that happened. You know, because it would have really cramped my style as a kid. Yeah. Like, you know, and. Uh, and there were also more stray dogs and stray cats when I was like four years oh, old. Really? And that, so that would be 1948. So you could talk to them, you weren't supposed to touch them, but you could watch them and try to, you know, you had rules. So they were teaching me how to, I, mean, I was talking about my parents, and they were teaching me how to negotiate all this. You know, don't get in a car with anybody. You know, 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Things like that. But I was still out there, uh, you know. My yeah. dad, his, my grandpa would do the same thing with them, and he said that they would, he would, um, they lived in a very tall apartment building, so whenever my grandpa wanted my dad and his brother to come home, he would do, like, a special whistle, and they were like, oh, that means that dinner's ready, and I have to come home, so they would just hear this really loud whistle out the window, ah. and it would signal them. Well, for me, it was the church bell. The okay. church bell would ring at 6 o'clock, that was time to come home and have dinner. So funny. Did you have any siblings, or do you have any siblings? I had an uh, older brother who died when he was very young. Actually, he died. He was about forty-eight when he died, and he had uh, he married, had three children, and left the, the children and uh, the, the widow. Um, and uh, they they he, he, they lived in Beacon, New York. So I grew up to see them pretty often, and uh, I've known them the kids you know since they were born. So. You know, they're now like in their 40s. Wow. What's yeah. the age gap between you and your brother? Like, did you grow up playing together or were, were you, was the gap He was too? four years older than me. Okay. We had, yeah, a nice connection, but you know, he was my older brother, you know, you know. Uh, and uh, so we didn't really, we knew the same people, but we didn't really hang around together. Yeah. And later, when I was in college, we hung around together. We, he, he liked some of my friends, so we started hanging around the whole same group of people then. But, but before that, we didn't really hang out together too much. He was a, he was a school teacher in New York. He, he used to teach at Automotive High School uh, oh. for, for many years. And, uh, He's a really special person to be a teacher. Yeah. And he, um, he, uh, was working on his house up at Beacon, and he fell and uh, um, I around the outside of the house, and <clears throat> his spinal cord was severed, and he uh, was paralyzed from the waist down. And then two years after that, he died from a heart attack. Wow! You know, so that was I'm really sorry. a tough couple of years for me when he was, you know, he was my big brother, and here he was lying on a bed, you know, in a hospital bed, uh, uh, kind of helpless, you know. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Are you still... Um, well, this is all, like, he died back in 1988. Right. My, my mother died uh, about three months after he died. Wow. So that's all kind of a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I that's don't hard. think about it too much, you know, you know, anymore. Do you still see... Um, do your brother's children still live up in Beacon or? And around that area, around that area. yeah, cool. Beacon and Highland and so forth, yeah. And one niece lives in Highland. And uh, I go to see them, sometimes they come down here, you know, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty nice. That works out rather nice. So we've always been close. Yeah. And I see their mother, my, uh, my former sister-in-law, I guess, really, and uh, you know, I would like I'll go over there for Thanksgiving, probably, and Christmas. You know, so I see them for the holidays. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting with me. Oh, what what a pleasure! Yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I I didn't realize I had that much to talk about. <laughs>